Imagine that you are headed out for a day on the beach with a few of your friends. That sounds pretty amazing right now, right? Well, imagine that you're headed out for a day on the beach with a few of your friends, and you see that there's a place where you can rent some boats. And so you and your friends decide to get in one of these boats and take off a couple miles down into the water. And just before the sun sets for the night, your boat runs out of gas. And because of the light weight of the boat and the wind of a storm that was coming, you ended up washed up on a deserted island with no way of reaching out to get help. This is exactly what happened to three young men in 2016 in Queensland, Australia. And so after washing up on a small island, these young men spent three days with no food, no water, and what seemed like no hope. But in their last effort to possibly get help, they decided to go out to the shore. And if any chance that some aircraft flew over, they decided to write in huge letters in the sand, S-O-S. They wrote the letters S. And because of this decision, they were rescued when a helicopter flew over that next day and saw the writing in the sand. You see, these guys understood that when in need of dire help, when it's a matter of life and death and you need to send help, you need to send word for rescue, you need to be very precise in the language that you choose to use. And so they they wrote the words S-O-S. They had to be precise with their language so that they could be saved. See, in John chapter 11, which is where we'll be today, we see that Mary and Martha believed this as well. When their brother Lazarus became sick, They knew that there was only one person who could heal him from this sickness, and it was their friend whose name was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But Jesus, as Jesus does, was out ministering and doing all the things that he does, making blind people see and making the lame walk again and doing all that he did on a regular basis. And so Mary and Martha decided that in order to get help, And in order to get Jesus to leave what he was currently doing in his ministry, they had to send word and their language had to be precise. And this is what Mary and Martha sent to Jesus. They said, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one whom... You love, not the one who loves you. See, if I was in Mary and Martha's situation and I needed Jesus to stop what he was doing, drop everything and come and rescue my brother, I wouldn't have put the language that way. I would have thrown out my brother's best Christian resume. I would have said, Jesus, come and help him because it, I don't know if you forgot or not, but he, he's gone to church this many years and he served at this many vacation Bible schools. And he was a Sunday school teacher. He led this many people to you. And he was a deacon. He was all these things. But Mary and Martha understood something profound. And I believe it's what we see in the text today. A couple of things. It's this. 
Jesus is far more motivated to help us because of his love for us rather than our love to him. And secondly, and this is the main idea of what we're going to be talking about this morning, it's, it's this. Don't miss this. Feel the weight. When Jesus shows up in your life, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart. God, we thank you for the people that you have sovereignly placed here this morning. God, we believe that it's not an accident that anyone's here. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us what it is that you would have us hear, what we need to hear. And, God, I pray that at the end of this, we'll draw closer to you by understanding that you are the resurrection and the life. And when we invite you in, you change everything. It's in your name we pray. God's people said. I want to show you four quick things this morning, and then I'll let you go, and you can beat the Methodists to lunch. So just four quick things, and then I'll let you go. First, I want to show you that when Jesus shows up, he'll change sickness into stories. Let me say that again. When Jesus shows up, he'll change sickness into stories. The text says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus gets word that his friend is sick, and Jesus says that his friend's illness is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And so right away we get into some pretty deep theology here in our text. This idea of how in the world can God be glorified through our sickness? How in the world can God be glorified through suffering? You see, all of us here this morning know what it's like to suffer through the realities of this fallen world. You've gone through it. Your loved ones have gone through it. And if we're honest this morning, I think we would all say that there have been times in our life that if we were really honest in our heart of hearts, we sometimes wonder in that moment, has God forgotten about me? Has He forgotten about me in my situation. But not only that, but here's something I've noticed in my life. God doesn't usually operate on the time frame that I would like him to. Can anybody give me an amen there? God doesn't usually work on my time frame. And I've heard people say, God is never early. He's never late. But he's always on time. And, and yeah, I get that. That's true. But let me tell you something. That's not very encouraging to hear when you're in the midst of suffering. You see, because when I'm sick, I want God to heal me now. I don't want to wait later. When, when, when I'm going through suffering, I want God to take me out of it now. When a family member, maybe you have, has gone astray, you don't want the Lord to bring them back ten years from now. You want the Lord to bring them back now. When trouble comes, we want the Lord to rescue us from it right here, right now. And sometimes He does. 
But oftentimes, he doesn't. You know what that feels like, don't you? See, Mary and Martha did too. The text goes on to say, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Not when he heard his friend was sick, he dropped everything and ran to him. No, no, no. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days where he was at. And you read that and you think, that, that, that makes no sense. Um, have you ever been in the place of begging God to intervene and to help you and it seemed like he was just taking a sweet old time? Oh, my gosh. I, I, I've been there before. And we, we have to ask, okay, it seems like God does this. He wants what's best for us, but, like, he could take us out of it, but he chooses not to. So why does God do this? Um, how many of you know what Lombardi time is? Do you know what Lombardi time is? Wow, I'm going to have to really disciple you all because I see no hands. So Lombardi time is based off of the Hall of Fame football coach, Vince Lombardi, who preached to his players that whenever a meeting was uh, set, a time was set, you better be there 15 minutes early because to be on time was to be late. And like me, I'm a stickler for time. Any of you like that? Like you're just a stickler for time. Like, you know, how many of you are people, you know, you're just, you show up fashionably late. Oh my gosh, you people irk my nerves. Like when, when someone says, hey, be there at 2 o'clock, I want to give you a newsflash. You know what time that means to be there? 1.45 to 2 o'clock. That doesn't mean 2.05. And so I remember uh, a specific time I was serving on a committee with a bunch of preachers because this is what Baptists do. We serve on committees just all the time. And, um, and if you're really good, you serve on multiple committees at the same time. Um, I remember serving on this committee, and it was a committee full of pastors and uh, we set a meeting uh, for, let's just say, it was 2 o'clock on a Tuesday. And uh, I'm, you know, the stickler for time, so I decided I'm going to get there at 145. I get there, and I'm there by myself, and then some other people come in. And then uh, we get a text message from our chairperson, who is one of my best friends in the world. Um, but one of my best friends in the world, I won't say his name, um, but one of the things that he does is he likes to show up fashionably late. And so uh, he says, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to be there, you know, five minutes late. I'm thinking, okay, not a big deal. And then uh, 2.05 rolls around. I'm thinking, okay, where's he at? And then the clock strikes 2.06. I'm starting to get mad because he said he was only going to be five minutes late. Well, 2.10 happens and then 2.15 and then 2.20, still nowhere to be found. And my blood is boiling. You, you ever do this thing where, like, you rehearse when you're really just going to clean someone's clock? Like, I was the youngest person on our committee, and he was the chair and the wisest and had a Ph.D. in preaching and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, you know what? When he gets in this room, before he can do anything, I'm going to light him up in front of everybody. And I'm going to tell him the importance of being on time. And I'm going to make, I, I want to make sure that he cries himself to sleep after I get done with him, Okay. This is what I do. And so I wait and he walks in. He goes, hey guys, uh, it's about 2.30 by the way. He walks in and says, hey guys, sorry I'm late. And the words were just getting ready to come out of my mouth when he said this. I saw a guy on the way here, broke down on the side of the road and I decided to help him and I changed his tire. And, 
And I told him I was a pastor. And then we got to talking about Jesus. And guess what, guys? I led him to the Lord right there on the side of the road. And I'm over here like... I guess that's a pretty good, you know, does the Lord ever humble you guys like that or is it just me? Because this happens to me all the time. So I'm thinking, okay, that's, that, that's a pretty good uh, explanation for why you're like, you see, it's not that my friend didn't understand or didn't respect the time that we had set to meet. He just understood that in that moment, in order to fulfill his greater purpose, he had to be late. Don't miss this. Jesus does the exact same thing when we look down in verse 17 when it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been already in the tomb four days. Why is this significant? Here's why. One of the beliefs of the people back in uh, the Jewish culture this day is that somebody's spirit could hover around in the body for a couple of days, really for three days. But if they didn't come back to life after three days, they were officially dead. And so to the people back then, one day was dead, two days was pretty dead, Three days was super dead. Four days was dead as can be, dead as a doornail. He gone. Okay? That's how dead four days was. And Jesus knew this. And so he purposefully delays his going to rescue and raise Lazarus to show everyone that he is the Son of God. And all authority and all power had been given to him, even power and authority over death. And so Mary and Martha may have not known why Jesus waited. Me and you may not realize why God doesn't answer and move when we want him to do so. We may not know why Jesus doesn't operate on our time frame. But Jesus always knows what he's doing. Jesus knew that in order to show everyone the power of God, he had to delay his coming. What teaches us something profound. Leaning close. Don't miss it. God often delays in order that he might display his power. And so God does not enjoy our struggles. I don't believe God enjoys our suffering or our sickness, yet God's greater purpose for your life and my life is not that he would do things on our time frame. No, no, no. Rather, his greater purpose for us is that he would be glorified through us. And so, friend, this sounds tough to hear, but God can use your sickness, whether physical or spiritual, and turn it into an amazing story about who he is and what he can do. But not only will Jesus turn your sickness into a story, but when Jesus shows up, I believe he'll change your fears into faith. Jesus will turn even your fears into faith. Look down in verse 21 and it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. There's something really interesting 
that happens here. You see, all throughout the book of John, Jesus performs miracles and, and healings, and then after doing so, calls the people to believe. Like, hey, I just did this. Now do you believe that I am who I say I am? But right here we see for the first time, Jesus calls someone to believe before he performs the miracle. He uses Martha's fear as an opportunity to grow her faith. Reminds me of the father whose son was demon-possessed in Mark chapter 9. Basically, the story goes like this, is that there's a father and his son had been demon-possessed for years and years and years. And he tried everything and he went to doctors and he went to teachers of the law and Pharisees and magicians and sorcerers and everything possible under the sun. And nothing could seem to help his son. And so he hears that down the street there's this guy who claims to be a miracle worker. He claims to be one who can deliver people from demons. In fact, he's probably heard that demons flee when they even hear this man's name. And so he finds out where this man is and he goes up to him and he says, Jesus, I want you to help my son. He's been demon-possessed. And, and Jesus asks him, well, how, how long has this been going on? And the father gives him and said, for this many years it's been going on. This is what it causes him. And he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds and says, anything. No, no, no. Everything is possible to the one who believes. And then we see something very profound when the Father says, Jesus, I believe, but can you help my unbelief? You ever been there before? Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so Jesus heals the boy. But if we go back in that story again, we see something really interesting happen. The father comes up to Jesus. He says, heal my boy. Jesus does nothing. Help my unbelief. Jesus heals the boy. Why? More times than not, God is not as interested as doing something for us as he is about doing something in us. And so Jesus healed the boy, but that wasn't the only one who was healed in that story. Who else was healed in that story? The father, because he ended up having faith. And I don't know about you, but the times that God has grown my faith the most haven't been in the times when everything was hunky-dory. The times that God has grown my faith the most have been in the tough times. The, the times where I've had to rely on him every single day. Some would say that you don't know and you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. See, I can tell you of countless times that Jesus took my fears and he used them as an opportunity to grow my faith. You see, an immature faith is one that wants God to take us away from all of our troubles. But a mature faith is one that asks God to be in the midst of our troubles. Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Boy, you say those names five times fast, you'll cuss about four different ways. But you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get put into the fiery furnace, and because God showed up, he said, Hey, you don't have to be in the fire. You're good. I don't want you to ever go through anything. Right? Is that how the story goes? No, no, no. You remember how the story went. King Nebuchadnezzar, who ordered them to be thrown into the fire, he calls his guards together after putting them into the fire, and he says, Hey, guys, um, 
Wasn't there only three? Did you just put three in there? And they say, yeah, we only put three in the fire. And he said, well, what looks like there's a fourth man who looks like a son of God. And the fire isn't consuming him. And so if you grew up in church, you have any background, you know who we believe the fourth person was in the fire. Who did we believe that that was? It was Jesus, right? And so this seems like a tough task. And man, it's easier said than done. But the next time that you're in suffering, friend, why don't instead of asking God to pull you out of your troubles, why don't you just invite him into your own? Because when you do that, man, he'll take even your strongest fears and turn them into faith. But not only will Jesus change sickness into stories and fears into faith, but when Jesus shows up, he'll even turn tears into testimonies. We pick up in verse 28 when it says, When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but there was still a place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw her rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. But when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how much he loved him. Here's something that you all might be shocked to hear. I wasn't any taller as a kid as I am now. In fact, I was shorter. And so I was one of the short kids growing up. And so, you know, you can laugh at me. I'm fine. I've, I've dealt with this for 25 years. And so, you know, I would get made fun of for being short. I was always the short kid, you know. I always, they always said, Noah, we're laughing with you. We're not laughing at you. And I was like, great, that's, that's good. But let me tell you something. I've heard all the short jokes. You know, I've heard people say, you're so short, they can see your feet and your driver's license picture. I've heard... Uh, you're so short, you're mini-me's mini-me. One kid told me one time when I was a kid that I was so small I could dodge raindrops. And so I would go home sometimes discouraged. And, you know, like mothers would, my mom would call me and say, Honey, come here. I just want to tell you something. When they call you short, this is what you say back to them. You say, I may be short, but dynamite comes in small packages. You ever heard that before? I didn't go back and tell the kids that because they would have made fun of me even more. So my mom wasn't the greatest encourager during that time, but she was a good theologian. And here's how I know that. There's a verse that we just read that is really well known, and it's well known for how small it is. And you know which one I'm talking about. Which one is it? Jesus wept. And we usually read it and we move on. And the only thing that we observe about it is how small it is. But let me tell you something. When you unpack this small verse, there's some dynamite in this small package. Check this out. Many think that when Jesus cried, it was just him. Oh, that's so sad. 
just shed one tear and move on. But, but that's not the case. Have you ever been so angry that you cried? Just so, just so furious, just a righteous anger. Maybe you saw something going on in the world and it just made you cry and it just, and made you so angry that you began to shed tears. See, that's what's happening here with Jesus. Jesus sees the hurt and the sorrow of the people that he loves and it moves him so much that the thought of the people that he came for are suffering. It moved him so much that he's frustrated. He's indignant. And it's as if the tears of Jesus are screaming out this message. It's not supposed to be this way. When I see many of you on Facebook or you text messages or whatever and and maybe you get a call and it's a bad diagnosis or a family member has passed away or, or, or something is going on. Man, it just, I tend to think it's, it's not supposed to be this way. But you know what's interesting about this? We all know how this story ends. In just a few verses, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Right? Now, let's do a pop quiz. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, I'm going to ask a question, and you just respond with either yes or no. Just yes or no. Got it? Here we go. Here's the first question. Does God know all things, past, present, and future? Okay. Is Jesus God? So did Jesus know, even while he was crying, that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? And so the question becomes, well... Why is Jesus so upset? Why is he so angry? See, if it was me, I'd be like, hey guys, stop crying. I'm going to fix all this in like five minutes. So Jesus knows the end result of what's going to happen here. And friend, Jesus knows the end result of everything that me and you will go through. And the Bible promises us that he'll work it all together for good. Those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. He knows that in the troubles he'll make something good out of it. But here's what's interesting about this. Even though he knew he was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead, it was all going to work out. He was still not unable to sympathize and weep with his people who were hurting. So many Christians, we do this thing where... We go and tell people when they're suffering, hey, it's all going to work out in the end. You, got, you know, we quote Romans 8.28. He'll work it all out to, for, for your good. Let me tell you something. God is not up in heaven looking down at us in our struggles saying, quit your crying. I'm, I'm going to work it all out for good. No, no, no. When he saw the people weeping, he wept with them. And so, friend, when we are stirred by emotion, we're, we're in these troubles, we're, we're going through it. Don't you think that Jesus is not right there with you every step of the way, feeling what you feel? So what's our response of knowing that Jesus feels this way towards us? Well, it's the same response, I believe, that the people had when they saw Jesus weeping over Lazarus. And it says in verse 36, see how much Jesus loved him. We think about this. How much does Jesus love me and you? The fact that even though he knows it's all going to work out, he still weeps with those who weep. 
The last one we'll look at is this. When Jesus shows up, he'll even change death into life. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's an odor. He's been dead four days. But Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and... Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account to the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. (laughs) That's a good verse. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. And so Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, showing that because he is the resurrection and the life, he has power over death. And so he took Lazarus' sickness and turned it into a story of his goodness for his glory. He took Martha's fears and turned them into having a greater faith. His tears into a testimony of how much he loves his people. And now he turns death into life. And so you can imagine the wave of a reaction that this must have caused. When we continue to read, we see some of it when the passage goes on to say, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then in verse 43, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You see, Jesus knew that this would happen. His disciples did as well. You may not know, but it was this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead that would ultimately lead to Jesus' arrest and later on his crucifixion. Early on in the passage, we skip some of it, but we see Jesus tell his disciples his plan to go and get Lazarus and, and raise him from the dead in the town where he was in. And the disciples go back to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, uh, you're, you know where Lazarus is at, right? Don't you remember we were just there and they tried to stone you? Don't you remember that they tried to kill you? You'll never make it out alive if you go back there. And guess what? They were right. But Jesus knew that he had to raise Lazarus from the dead in order that he might do what he ultimately came for. And that was to put death to death once and for all. And so Jesus would be arrested for performing this miracle. He was mocked, beaten, flogged, cussed at, spit on. He would even carry his own death instrument up a hill to be executed on. Why? To put death to death. And so those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, although we die physically here, we know that we will live forever with him because Jesus put death to death. Death no longer has its negative effects for the believer. In fact, Jesus actually takes death itself and changes and turns it into a doorway to the one true life. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he asked in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You know, here lately, in the last couple of weeks, one of the 
things that we've been talking about in our youth group is this idea that we're never promised tomorrow. And a few weeks ago at Glow Weekend, our discipleship now that we do here for our students, um, it got mentioned several times on Friday, several times Saturday morning. And just this idea of, hey, we were not promised tomorrow. And I don't, if you know anything about me, I'm not one of these like fear monger youth pastors like, hey, you could die today. Give your life to Jesus. I'm, I'm not into that. I'm just not who I am. But for some reason, it seemed like the Lord wanted us to at least think about this idea of, of death being possible in life, ultimately being so fragile. It wasn't until later that afternoon that we learned that a lot of our students had a friend um, who was a freshman at Liberty Creek who passed away. You've heard the story of Aaliyah Brooks. And let me tell you something. I've never met her. I never got the chance to meet her. But she's changed my life. And the stories about her has absolutely changed my life and has taught me more about the faith in the past few weeks than I think I've grown in the last couple of years. And we were talking so much about this idea of of death, but, but the reality is, is that for Aaliyah and for me and for you who have a saving relationship with Jesus, death doesn't have the final word. Because of what Jesus has done, death can't hurt us anymore. In closing, as the band comes up, um, I heard a story once of uh, a young girl who was about a year and a half old, and her parents were so excited to have a toddler. And um, They were out at a cookout, and they were sitting out one day, and a yellow jacket came and stung their daughter. And when the yellow jacket stung their daughter... Um, she swelled up, and she had this terrible reaction. They had to rush her to the hospital. They almost lost her because she was so deathly allergic to the sting of a yellow jacket. And so the parents decided, you know, we're going to make sure that we, you know, think about this. and We make sure that we never allow her to be in a place where, you know, that can happen, again, to the best of our ability. Well, a couple of years go by, uh, two or three, and um, her dad and her were in a car together. The dad was driving. She was in the back seat, in the car seat. And it was a nice spring day. And so the father decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive with the windows cracked a little bit. And uh, as he's driving along, he's almost reached their destination where they were going. And he hears from the back seat his daughter start to frantically just cry and scream and be petrified. And he's like, what's going on? And he looks back and he realizes that this, there's a yellow jacket buzzing around in the car. And the only thing that she can remember from that you know, buzzing sound is the trauma that she went through a few years before. And so she's freaking out. She's crying. She doesn't know what to do. The father was on the interstate, and so there was nowhere for him to pull over. And so he couldn't really do anything. And he looks back after getting the will, and he realizes that the yellow jacket has landed on her car seat right beside her leg. And so he decides that there's really only one thing that he can do in that moment. So he steadies the wheel, and he reaches back as far as he can, and he just slams his hand down on the yellow jacket and absorbs the sting. And the yellow jacket flies around and, and is dismantled, and, and, and the daughter's still crying, and the, the father eventually pulls over. 
And he's saying, honey, it's fine because here's something you may not know about yellow jackets. They can only sting you once. Once they sting you and they put your stinger into you, they're harmless. They can't do anything else. And so the father pulls over and, and he says, honey, honey, honey. And he opens up his palm. And there the stinger is stuck in his palm. And he says, look, it can't hurt you anymore. I took its stinger away. And in the same way that the father showed the daughter the stinger of the yellow jacket, Jesus looks at me, he looked at Aaliyah Brooks, and he looks at us who have a relationship with him, and he shows us his palms of his nail-scarred hands, and he says, look what I did. I took the sting of death away, and it can't hurt you anymore. See, the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life isn't just something that we need to know in the future. Jesus, the thing about him is that his salvation is a past, present, and future. So for me and you, Jesus has saved us. He's saving us today, and he will save us again in the end when he decides to come back and fix all of this. But here's my question for you. Have you submitted to the fact that there is a one who loves you so much one who was more motivated to help you in your sinful situation by his love for you than anything you could offer in return. Do you know him? Have you accepted the fact that he put death to death for you? Friend, if Jesus coming to die on the cross only was to save you and you alone, he would have done it. And so here's what we're going to do. I just want to ask us to bow our heads, close our eyes. No one look around. I know this may be a bit different, but right where you're at, there's no one, two, three step on how to do this. There's no perfect formula that you have to do to make this happen. But statistics would show that in a room like this, there's so many of us who have never accepted Jesus into our lives. And so here's what I want to do today, friend. If you've never called out to Christ and asked Him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to accept what He did by taking death away from you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so if that's you this morning, not out loud, but you can scream this in your heart. Just pray to God right now and say something like this. Say, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that your son Jesus died on a cross and rose again for my sake. And I call on you to be my Lord and Savior. With heads bowed, eyes closed, just, just no one looking around or anything like this. Um, and, and I promise you, no one's going to call you out or ask you to do anything to make you feel uncomfortable at all. But if that's you and you just prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe the first time that you made it, would you do this for me? Would you just raise your hand? Just slightly, just lift it up. For all of us this morning, maybe, maybe that's something that you prayed and, and you want to talk to a pastor and you want to let us know. Man, we would love to know. For the rest of us, in the same way that Jesus being the resurrection life gives us power for eternity in the next life, it gives us resurrection power for this life as well. Maybe you're in here and you've been 
debating the idea of, of getting baptized or, or, or joining the church, man, I'm going to be down front. Pastor Law is going to be down front. We would love to have a conversation with you. But here's what I'll ask you. Whatever it is that God is, is calling you to and calling you to, to, to respond to, I pray that you wouldn't walk out the doors before doing it. I'm going to pray and we'll all stand to our feet and worship and you respond to what God has called you to do. Lord, we love you. God, thank you that you're the resurrection and the life. Thank you that you took the sting of death away by putting death to death through your death and resurrection. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.